Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers in the manufacturing space. I am one of your very qualified hosts, Matthew Shinella. And I'm the other host who's probably slightly less qualified, all things considered, MJ Peters. <laughs> are you serious? No, you are. You're actually more qualified. You're a three-time <laughs> VP of marketing, MJ. So the even according more to my LinkedIn headline, exactly, so. <laughs> the even more qualified, MJ Peters. What's up, MJ? How you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm not coming to to the listeners from sunny San Diego, but all things considered, things are going I, quite well here in Idaho. There you go. Yeah, it reminds me of when we did the we did the Keystone content. I think one when I was in Atlanta and we were like just recording remotely so it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see how this how this shakes out so we got two topics today to talk about um one is one that i'm super passionate about which is going to be setting your crm correctly so you can measure the way that you want um and this may or may not be based on true events and then um you want to talk about messaging pyramids right and if maybe you want to preview that real quick where we hop into each yeah so messaging pyramids we're going to talk about uh, at least three levels of messaging that you may want to consider ironing out for your organization um, and talk about some some do's and don'ts and talk about uh, the different kinds of agencies and people on your team and, and what uh, part of the messaging pyramid that those resources can tackle for you. But first to the CRM stuff, I feel like I'm about to get some free consulting because uh, we're switching CRM. Well, we're not switching CRMs. We have Salesforce, but uh, we are switching marketing automation. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, potential pitfalls when you set this stuff up. So let's uh, hear about what we should do and what we should avoid. Indeed. Um, all right. So I want to get into really what happens when I, I, I walk into CRMs and I, I kind of analyze them. Uh, I'm really looking for a couple things. First is consistency from lead to deal, where there's, you know, uh, provided there's not a huge time lapse in between the contact going in the database and the deal getting logged, it should be pretty consistent. Um, and the other thing is like, are you categorizing and bucketing deals and leads in a way that is too broad, too granular, or just right? It's almost like the three little bears of attribution, you know? So <laughs> you want to make sure that you have it set up correctly to allow yourself to measure in a way that you can actually get a strategic insight from it to make a strategic decision for your marketing. Um, and what I find with clients that I've seen and, and instances I've seen in my life, people either are too broad or they're too narrow or they're too granular. And so it's hard to derive a strategic insight from it. So uh, I'm going to go through kind of how I think about setting your instance up uh, in order to measure in a way that is going to give you uh, scalability. So as you grow programs out and do more stuff and do more things, you'll be able to still keep the same measurement system in place with maybe just a few modifications in order to fit maybe anything else new that you roll out. So I think about attribution in like three buckets. Um, the first one I'm always thinking about is the conversion type. And so conversion type to me really comes down to forms. And so I actually have this up on a screen because I was working on this for someone else. but I think about conversion types as based on the form submitted or the or the action that was made to come inbound. And so uh, I have about eight that I, I think about like that. So one is the demo request. That should be where most of your conversion types come from. But there'll be others that you'll use throughout the course of your programs. And so setting this up lets you measure the lead. And then also you can append it to the deal as well. And it'll allow you to kind of see which actions are driving the most pipeline, the most, um, the most revenue, the most, the highest ACV and the shortest sales cycle, right? So conversion type for me, demo request, content download, chat. If you have a chat, 
email, trade show, webinar, or event. So I would think of an event as like a smaller conference that's not a trade show, virtual event. Maybe you have like an open house event at your facility. So those would be the sort of things I would categorize there. Um, outbound, which you always have to have in case someone just comes in through like a sales outreach. And then the contact us form. If your company has a contact us form, you should be putting that in a different bucket than the demo request or also quote request to be the other one as well. So I would think about the conversion types and breaking them out like that. And then normally if you're using HubSpot, it'll have this, the out the box original source attribution, which I would recommend keeping. And so those categorize as organic search, direct traffic, paid social, paid search, other campaigns, offline sources, referrals, and email marketing. As long as you're using UTM parameters correctly, if you're using HubSpot, use the UTM tool. It makes it very easy. Um, if you're using Salesforce or something like that, or, or Marketo or Oracle, um, you can find a like spreadsheet template. They're very easy to find. You can even DM me if you want. I can send one that I use and, and have used in the past. Um, and and you would basically create these same sort of source attributions and append them based on the UTM parameter. And then the other one is self-reported attribution, um, which is obviously something we champion a lot at Refine. Um, and I'm obviously a, a big advocate of it too, especially if you're gonna run content distribution on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, where you're not doing direct response. And it's just a normalized field that's derived from the how did you hear about us field. So in order to have a self-report attribution field, you have to have a how did you hear about us field. And then what you're doing is from some of the key words that are used in the self in the uh, how did you hear about us field, like um, social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, read you in this article, or they mentioned the word article or something like that. Then you can bucket them into sort of the categories of self-report attribution. So for me, if I'm thinking about broadly, like at Refine, like it's so it's it's so much like we know, like Refine knows LinkedIn is going to be one. So LinkedIn is its own category. But for most companies, it's going to be more just social media, broadly speaking. So I think about social media, search engine, PR event, word of mouth slash referral, community, email. And then you should always have these other functions as well that I think are important. One is just test, spam, omit. And you want to be able to do that so you can filter out when you're doing testing or you get spam emails or, or spam submissions, stuff like that. And then other unknown, you'll always have something where you can't quite categorize it. It's a good idea to look at those maybe every quarter or so, just to see if maybe there's a field in self-report attribution that you haven't noticed that belongs there. Um, that way you can, because you should have as few things in that other or unknown as possible. And so having these three kind of layers of attribution in your CRM setup really allow you to report uh, off of a lot of different fields and derive a lot of insights for your executive team. And then I should also add for each of these, you're making these at the contact level and at the deal level because you want to append them uh, as much as possible where it makes sense. And so that would be my other sort of takeaway from that. So when I'm thinking about setting your CRM up, I'm thinking about how I'm setting the attribution up in a way that is repeatable, scalable, easy to understand, and easy to report on. And these are the three ways that I set it up to try to make it um, simple and effective for myself, my company, my clients, et cetera. All right. So uh, myself, always the product marketer. Um, I have one other thing to add, which I think is kind of interesting, especially from the industrial company perspective. Yeah, go for it. It is custom fields that you're going to use for segmenting your database and also just like understanding your demand gen data better. So um, 
This, I think, can get messy uh, for industrial companies, uh, particularly because I think industrial companies will often be dealing with applications as well as industry verticals. And sometimes the application and the industry vertical are sort of one and the same, but sometimes they are different. So at Firetrace, we had like we could protect with our fire suppression system a large number of things, right? An electrical panel, a CNC machine. Um, a wind turbine, right? And so a wind turbine is obviously uh, in the wind energy vertical, right? The application and the vertical are one in the same. But uh, an electrical panel can be in a manufacturing facility. It could be in a hotel. Uh, it could be in uh, a chemical plant, right? So the application does not necessarily imply the industry vertical. So we actually had to have industry and application both as fields in the CRM. Um, and that was a, an important piece of our go-to-market strategy because our value was sort of tied to application, but we still had to have an industry vertical segmented go-to-market strategy because um, it's hard to target people that are like owners of CNC machines in any kind of reliable way. It's worth thinking about that really carefully when you first set your CRM up. Otherwise, you will end up with lots and lots and lots of fields um, or lots of options and fields that are not being used. And you're going to have to go back and clean it up later. Yeah, it's a good. That's a great addition because, like, application or use case is a big is definitely a big thing to to derive or, or report off of. I was I think of that as more of a of a sale of almost a sales feel once they get into the deal, and then you know you have a call or you do a visit, then you can know okay what's the industry, what's the application, and welding it would be, you know, heavy fabrication and fume extraction, right? We base the application off the product category, and then you base the industry off the end user. And then that makes it like really simple. Or if it's just something where it's totally going through distribution um, and you're not really getting a lot of um, access to the end user where you can't figure that out, just looking at just putting dealer as its own category. I mean, you have to do that. So, so yeah, definitely setting up if you want to get even deeper into that by industry, by, by use case, either by product category or whatever, it's definitely clutch and you need that. Um, and, and totally agree with that addition to setting up your, uh, setting up your CRM correctly. Um, I was definitely, I was definitely speaking more on the, the marketing program perspective and wanting to make sure that you capture those appropriately, but you absolutely should be setting up industry application as you, as you made note of. Where it comes in, uh, in handy uh, from my perspective, uh, on the marketing program side of things is, um, especially for an established company, understanding your demand gen efforts, because, an established company that ha kind of has like brand momentum is just going to get inbound through like word of mouth yeah. because you have been around for 40 years. Right. Yep. And I, as the marketing leader, like to try to filter that out as much as I can. So um, what I did at Firetrace was we had like four target segments that we wanted to go after wind, machining, et cetera. And so I had those stored as uh, applications and then I actually filtered the report to say, um, these are how many inbounds we generated in those applications only. And I, I filtered out all the other applications and just wrote them off as, you know, brand momentum word of mouth. For sure. All right. Let's roll into messaging pyramids because you've been asking to do this for like two weeks now. And I, I just want to let you loose on it. So uh, first, explain what a messaging pyramid is and how you think of it in terms of, okay, we have one. How does it actually get used? So mm -hmm. I'm kind of I'm gonna let it turn it over to you, and and I want to want you to explain the concept 
because I think once you explain it, people will get it. And then we can definitely talk through developing one and then deploying it. Yeah, so you can just Google messaging pyramid and Google image, and you'll come up with a bunch of examples of these. So it's literally just a pyramid that organizes the different types of messages. And the problem that this solves for you as a marketer is that there are lots of different kinds of messages mm -hmm. that you put out into the market. So um, I think something that brings some clarity to this is like this morning, I think I saw a LinkedIn post like, in the future, there's going to be a chief category creation officer. I saw that post too. Yes. And my first instinct when I looked at that post was, this is stupid. Like, that's just product marketing. <laughs> and um, and I realized that if I commented that, that Christopher Lockhead would literally have my head. Um, he would be like, the category creation is not product marketing. And he would be right. So um, category creation, brand messaging, strategic narrative, those things sit at the top of the pyramid. Um, they, to me, are the your thesis about uh, what is changing in the world and how companies need to respond to it. And um, yes, that is a response to external factors, but it is your company's response to external factors. And it is almost something that you put out into the world. Mm -hmm. So the Refine Labs brand messaging is that buyers buy in dark social. Right. And Refine Labs came up with that and put it out into the world. And buyers responded to it because it's it's an observation about a real phenomenon that people feel the symptoms of. But Refine Labs put the stamp on that dark social. Um, the second level of the pyramid is functional and emotional benefits of what it is that you provide. And that is product marketing. So product marketers tend to live there. They do customer research. They understand um, customers' jobs to be done, their pain points. Some pains are emotional or philosophical, and some pains are functional. Um, and then those will map to pain relievers or gain creators in your product uh, that are either functional benefits or emotional benefits. And that's what gives customers the why. And it's for me, this is the most useful part of the pyramid for demand gen, because um, unless you have already proven that you can kind of solve a functional or emotional pain point for a customer. They maybe they're going to just resonate with your, actually Refine Labs is a great example of a company that just has a compelling brand narrative. And then people like they might not even have a functional pain, but they come work with Refine Labs anyway. But for most companies, you need to start here, prove that you can solve a pain point uh, and then uh, work your way from there uh, to, to get people to become raving fans of your brand would yeah. be my general thesis, but Refine Labs is special. Um, and then the bottom of the pyramid is uh, product features and attributes. Um, and in general, um, sales lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, yeah, sales often has to speak to product features and attributes. However, I will say sometimes product features and attributes are in fact fundamental to your positioning. So for example, Colab is a cloud-based product. And we live in a space where most like mechanical design tools are desktop, on-prem kind of products. And so it is fundamental to our positioning that we are cloud-based, but that is an attribute, right? It's not a functional or emotional benefit. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, th these types of things can be fundamental to positioning, even though they live down here at the bottom of the pyramid. So um, at any given point in time, if you need to launch a new feature, if you need to open up a new segment, if you are working with an agency to redefine your brand positioning, you need to understand clearly like what level of the pyramid are you operating on? And those three levels of the pyramid um, 
kind of need to make sense with one another. <laughs> and um, sometimes you'll have a gap uh, in one of these areas of the pyramid and, and you'll feel pain from it. So it's, it's worth uh, mapping this out to help diagnose those kind of things. Yeah. So quick question. I, I feel I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just for those who may be wondering. So normally in a pyramid, you start at the foundation and work your way up to the top. I feel like in this scenario, you're actually starting at the top and then working your way down to the bottom, or am I mistaken to assume that? I don't think you have to start at any one point. Actually, it's kind of funny. Like at CoLab, I am starting in the middle, and okay. that is because I think the least work has been done so far in the middle, and it's causing pain for our sales team. <laughs> so, awesome. so we're doing the middle, and also because I can use the middle heavily in demand gen. So I'm just starting in the middle. But you can, I think you can start wherever you want to start. Okay. Um, but just, just you know, make sure that if you are doing messaging work, you understand what kind of messaging work you're doing and where it's going to be used. I think the key on that, and you make a great point, and I agree, actually, as you know, you've explained it, you should start, you can and should start anywhere. The first thing you should do is create, just create that as a, as a visual and start auditing it with your executive team and with your sales team and with your product team and go, all right, let's, let's start at each level and see how we each see the, these and see how much, how much agreement or disagreement there is. And then where, where there's the most disagreement or, or, or disalignment, is where you need to shore it up the most, I think. And I think in a lot of industrial companies, um, I think strategic narrative is where, because it's very, it's kind of esoteric to think about your strategic narrative in industrial because you sell such a tangible product. Um, whereas the, the middle and the bottom, I think, are a little bit more easy because sales understands that product, understands that strategic narrative is very kind of high and over and overarching. And I think people who deal with physical products can struggle with trying to capture it all and actually, not just not just industrial. I think a lot of people struggle with that in general. Um, but just diagram it out with your team. It's a great exercise to do at your sales meeting or something to something to kick that off. I mean, you could spend half a day just going over that um, because ultimately, what you want and, the, and what the most effective companies do when it comes to a messaging pyramid is the message is the same across all functions, across all layers of the pyramid, um, and you're just not going to get alignment by you know, not working at it and refining it. And it's something you should do, revisit consistently. And if there's someone who's really good at consulting on it that you trust, someone who does really good positioning work, that, that's a great use case to bring someone into workshop it for a half a day with your team. Yeah. And uh, one point I specifically wanted to make on this is um, I'm a little bit biased because I feel I personally am quite good at middle of the pyramid messaging and I feel less comfortable at top of the pyramid messaging. However, in general, I think um, it is best to outsource top of the pyramid messaging because mm -hmm. um, it is really useful to have a facilitator in there. I think there are companies that are fantastic and bring an incredible and just like freelancers like Andy Raskin. I, I don't oh, know yeah. if I would call him a freelancer, but people that own their own business like Andy, <laughs> yeah. Andy Raskin. Andy's um, not a freelancer, but Andy is like, when you think strategic narrative, you no doubt think of Andy Raskin. Yeah. And he's like, um, he's got a proven process to manage some of the emotions and some of the ambiguity that go along with something uh, mm -hmm. like top of the pyramid messaging. So I think it's really worthwhile to consider a, when is it worth taking your top of the pyramid messaging to the next level, because I think you can make your own homemade top of the pyramid messaging and it okay. can get you so far. Um, and then at a certain point, you will realize that it is uh, preventing you from continuing to get farther. And that's when you want to bring in an expert. But like when you decide to bring in an expert for this, don't skimp on it. 
No. Otherwise, it's not going to be any better than what you can make yourself. So like, yeah. realize when you're ready or when you're not ready and make the investment and that is appropriate. You make the point of the facilitator on the strategic narrative aspect of it. And I think it's a really salient point because most of the time, strategic narrative has to be something signed off on by the CEO, right? And a facilitator is the only person who's going to command the CEO's attention. And it's really hard to do that internally, to command that attention, get the feedback in, and like get them to sign off on it and then essentially have the mandate that like this is our strategic narrative and I'm expecting to see this permeate all other aspects of our company. Um, and having a facilitator, I think, help gets that done. First off, because you have skin in the game because you're paying a facilitator. And secondly, because they're going to give an outside perspective and can call them out on something that's that's ineffective. Right. It's I think there's a there's a bias when you're an in-house to kind of just agree with like an idea they're passionate about and not push back a lot on it, you know. Totally. Um, all right. Let me get your take on something. Um, for those people who have Googled messaging pyramids, you will see that there are like many different versions of this. I have talked about the specific version that I am currently using, which is only three levels, features and attributes, functional, emotional benefits, brand messaging category creation. However, there are lots that have like six levels and many of these have functional benefits below emotional benefits, emotional mm -hmm. benefits higher up on the pyramid. What do you think? Should functional benefits be on the same level or should they be above or below emotional benefits in the industrial context? Oh, that's a great question. I My first inclination is that it should be below because I think it func the functional benefit is something that the product physically does and you can pretty easily capture, explain and communicate it. Whereas the emotional benefit, you're only really going to figure that out through customer research, spending time with your customers, talking to them, maybe following them a little bit on social media. If they mention your product and talk about what it's like to use it, um, you know, you're, you're only going to get that feedback through a feedback loop. Whereas the other benefit is much more, you can figure that out almost in product development, right? Like you can do that with your engineers. So I think it belongs on its own tier. It belongs on the bottom. It's very easy to understand. But the other thing is it's also very... It, be, it can be very, it's, it can just be come out with it. It can be a commodity, a, a commodity benefit. And so I think you need a separate sort of emotional level of benefit in order to distinguish it, whatever the product category is. So that would be, that, that's my first, that's my first thought when, when you, when you bring that question is yes, it belongs on its own tier on the bottom and, uh, and you, and you need it because it can be, it can be commoditized that benefit and you're going to need another level of benefit to distinguish it. Yep. I think you're totally right that the only way to uncover emotional benefits is to do the deep customer research. Mm -hmm. And frankly, most of your competitors are not doing this. So if that's you dedicate you your own. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that, I mean, honestly, like the emo unearthing the emotional functional benefit is the competitive advantage. If you can, if you can do the work and have the process to figure it out. Um, I will uh, wrap up this messaging section with one more version of the messaging pyramid that I quite like which is a very simple, also a three-level one, but instead of uh, the one that I've outlined previously, it just says bottom level, what it, what it is, middle level, what it does, top level, what it means. So you can use any of those versions. Uh, I think all of them could be useful. And uh, maybe you, you know, pick and choose from all three and customize it for your business needs. Fantastic. Uh, if any of y'all listen to this episode and you're going to try that exercise with your executive team, uh, I'm personally very curious to see how it works out for you. So let us know, share your pyramid with us and uh, let's, uh, let's wrap. You ready to wrap? Ready to wrap. Right. You can catch the Industrial Marketing Show on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Please subscribe to the Industrial Marketing Show. Leave us a five-star review. Leave us a written review and tell MJ how great 
uh, her ideas are on the podcast. She would appreciate it. Um, we'll be back with more with more episodes in the future. Appreciate y'all um, dealing with us through this transition period for both of us. We're not shipping it quite as often, but we still enjoy doing it, and we're going to keep keep on keeping on. So for this episode, I'm Matt. And I'm MJ. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.